0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Dirk and
1: Dietz exclusive, uh, second Microsoft Teams live event. Uh, Today's topic, we're going to be talking about um, a little bit about inflation, um, where inflation comes from, different baskets and stuff. I got Sean and Amy here to to give us the details around that. Just a quick reminder, if you have any questions, feel free to use the chat bar on the right hand side. put in your uh, your question we will try to keep it anonymous and we will address them we will address the questions uh, throughout. And without further ado and to save some time, I'm gonna pass I'd say I'd pass the mic over to Amy but I'll pass the <laughs> uh, the, the event over to Amy and we'll uh, we'll get started as quickly as possible then.
2: Great, welcome everybody. This is our second uh, live event and we're we're happy to be doing these uh, and, and look forward to doing more. Um, so we're gonna be mindful of time because we're gonna try to do this within our 30 minute time frame over your lunch hour. And uh, those again, the recording will be available afterwards. So inflation. So if we wanna talk about the basic types of inflation, Joel, if you wanna go to the second slide there. So we talk about, this is kind of your uh, your in a nutshell uh, economics uh, run through. The one we all often think of is supply and demand, right? So if there's a shortage that will drive the price up. So that's a very common one we call demand pull inflation. The other type of inflation we're often think about is cost push. So where the inputs into a product or service increase, and then therefore increases the the output um, uh, at the end for all of us when we purchase. So that's a cost push. Um, think about like raw materials and things like that. So if we think about where we are today, we're We're feeling a bit of both, right? So I think given COVID, there was supply chains issues and things like that. So we're definitely in the scenario where we feel both of these right at the moment. But the other one, and this is the one that the Bank of Canada is really focusing on, is the built-in inflation. Once these things take hold, what will often happen is workers will start to demand higher wages because their cost of living has now increased. And so what you don't want to have happen is for that to start to spiral out of control. And that is why we're seeing interest rates rising in a much faster pace than what we're typically used to, because we're trying to get that part under control. Um, so, what I, as we were putting this together, there's a lot of great information out there. Um, the Bank of Canada su- actually surprised me. The uh, The quality of their their content on their website is fantastic. For any of those that are interested in learning more, it's a really, really great resource, a lot of good content on there, but we wanted to share this clip. It's a, it's a two minute video just to, you know, for some clients that aren't fully familiar with, we hear the word inflation, what does that mean? What did it look like historically? We just wanted to play this two minute clip um, to, and again, it was very well done. I think it gives every everybody have good basic understanding as well
0: okay just give me a quick second here perfect I'm not sure if the sound's coming through. The beauty of a live event, everyone.
2: That's okay, Jalal, if we can't get the, the audio to go, we'll send out the clip afterwards.
0: Okay, Is it? was it still not showing up?
2: No, Here, I can't hear the audio.
0: Okay, I'm gonna give it a try maybe one more time. Uh, let's see if I told it to send audio. We're learning as we go. Yeah, should send out the audio. Oh yeah. You were able to see the um the video just not the audio right amy correct. yeah that's correct okay Give me just two seconds here let's see yeah it's interesting i don't know why it won't uh it won't push
1: out okay. the audio don't
2: worry well don't worry everybody we'll send that out afterwards but it's a really good yeah. clip that takes a screenshot of how the inflation was was very, it was all over the map or early days. And when you go back into the 70s and then 80s, you've got this really big run up. And then the, the Bank of Canada realized that if we actually start using interest rate as a tool to get that under control, they came up with what they call the 2% target. And that is where over the last 25 years, they've actually been quite good, keeping it in between that 1% to 3% band with the 2% being the target. And the rationale for that is if they can keep it around that 2% target it allows people to plan and understand you know how much they need to save going forward it also helps businesses plan you know, they understand that the cost is going to rise at a 2% rate. It's a lot, it, it removes, you know, another variable in a, in, a, in a situation where you have a lot of things being thrown at you. It gives that more of a constant and uh, that, that's the whole goal. And again, that's why we're using uh, interest rates to, to, to manage that through monetary policy. So when we look at and we talk about inflation, well, how do we measure it? And we often hear CPI. So, Joel, if you want to switch to the next slide. You might want to expand because it's quite small there. Um, when we look at CPI, CPI is the consumer price index. So it's the basket of good in which things are measured off of. And they break it out into eight major categories, shelter, um, household operations, transportation, healthcare, recreation, um, alcohol, uh, it's all they're all separate. And they measure these categories. Now these categories, that the items in the basket will change over times. Um, for example, you know, Sean, you, know, you probably remember when the basket had an eight-track uh, player and a record player, and <laughs> um, I would recognize, you know, cassettes and CDs. Uh, the basket is updated and changed uh, as we go along um, to to be relevant to what consumers are purchasing, and so and and it also will change in how they measure things. So, for example, going through COVID. One of the measurements uh, that was in here was new car purchases. Now, we know we talked to a lot of you uh, during that period. There weren't a whole lot of cars available, so that drove up the used car market. So they actually, when they do these calculations through Stats Canada, they modified that calculation. So now it actually looks at new cars and used cars and, and to try to make it you know, as true to the situation that we're going through to compare. So that is how they come up with what's in the basket to And they put weightings on it. So how much percentage is going to house hold expenses, how much is going to transportation and etc. And this is what we're tracking all the time. So when you hear that in June, that it, the CPI rate was 8.1%, it's now gone down to 7.6%. So it's moving in the right direction. Still a long way to go from that 2% target. This is the basket of goods that they're referencing. And so if you flip to the next slide, Jalal, it was interesting to go back and actually look at this basket over time. So you can see in the chart here, we're looking at you know, 1986, the 90s, early 2000s, up to 2015. What percentage, of each bucket in these eight categories was the household uh, expenses going to. So shelter is a hot topic right now. We're all talking about housing prices. You can see that back in 1986, 25.7% of your household budget was going towards uh, the shelter bucket. And again, that would include rent, uh, mortgage costs, insurance, repairs, maintenance, taxes, utilities, all fall under that bucket. And you can see how it's started to creep up over time. So by 2015, uh, it was sitting at about 26.8% uh, of the overall basket. Now, before we flip to the next slide, it is actually increased further. It's actually gotten closer to about the 30% number. So it is becoming a very dominant and, and we've all seen that right as housing prices have, have risen. Also looking at, you know, look at transportation as an example. It's always stayed around the 19% bucket. Um, Alcohol, uh, this one's actually, I found this one kind of interesting. Alcohol and tobacco uh, products was around 5.6 in, in you know, late 80s. And then it trended downwards in the early 2000s. Um, It's actually ticked back up. So I think after COVID, we've heard of a lot of, you know, people at home, they were drinking more heavily and things like that you've actually seen that tick back up to around the 5% mark again. Um, So it is interesting when you look at these numbers, you can extrapolate kind of what's going on, and we can all relate to it in our own households. So if you go to the next slide there, Jalal, this one is the updated from 2017 to 2021 numbers. So again, same percentage, they're just presenting the information in a little bit different graph. But again, looking at that second category there, shelter, you can see we're approaching around the 30% number. So quite a big jump from where it was. And again, that's what we're seeing in housing prices transportation is interesting because it was quite high but because covid changed our behaviors we're not commuting as much so again looking at that representative basket of inflation and what our costs and and where they're going up uh, this is a really good visual of how it impacts it and so again interest rates are rising to try to get this under control which will lead us into what does that mean you know, for the markets in general and for, for, you know, going forward on prices. So, Sean, I'll kick it over to you. Well,
1: thanks, Amy, and uh, greetings and salutations to everybody. Um, you know, it's interesting when you look at these slides that Amy went through, you can see the difficulty that the the Bank of Canada and the Fed and the European Central Banks have in terms of trying to manage inflation, given all the nuanced uh, data that are coming out because of the disruption that covid caused and that's uh you know that's definitely makes things a little more difficult for uh, for central banks in managing this situation the question that we want to ask is you know are rate hikes necessarily bad for for stocks in general uh we want to ask the question you know what? What historically, what has inflation done? Is there any is there any learning we can gather from that? And are recessions necessarily bad for for stock ownership? So let's talk to the first slide here. Are rates rate hikes bad for stocks? And what this tells you, without going line by line, is that there's been several periods over the last let's say 20 years, 25 years, where central banks have indeed been raising interest rates, and they typically raise interest rates because the economies are doing well and they have to manage the economy back to more of a long-term sustainable growth rate It's not you know, you know, you know res- recessionary times That's when the bank the central banks lower interest rates So typically rates go higher when things are going well in the economy and you can see here that in general um, during periods where there's rate hikes the average uh, rate of return in the TSX is 5.8% per year when rates are going higher, not as high as the overall average of 9.1%. And on the S&P 500, over time, the average rate of return on the S&P 500 is 8% per year, again, a little bit lower than the historical average of 10.6%, but nonetheless positive. So the message that this data shows us is that stocks can be resilient over the long-term in a rising rate environment, interest rate environment. Now, if we go to the next slide, what this, what this picture here tells us is what has inflation done literally over the last 120 years. And, and what this kind of demonstrates is what Amy touched on, which is the central banks over the last 30 years or so have become very, very good at controlling the volatility of price changes. So if you look, for instance, from 1900 through to 1960, even up through the mid 80s, Inflation was all over the map. There was, like, for instance, pretty significant deflationary periods between 1900 and 1920, including the the Great Depression. Um, and then there was huge inflationary swings, particularly after World War II, um, and then also in the in the 1980s and the 1970s, when the Fed and the cent and the Canadian the, the Bank of Canada and the European central banks decided to focus on inflation targeting as their main purpose in managing the economy. You can see that the volatility of inflation rates up until very recently were were quite controlled. Why this is important is it gives a it gives me at least some great comfort that central banks have a uh, just an enormous amount of experience in managing inflation. And the odds of them getting it right and basically tampering inflation back to a more normalized run rate of two to three percent, the odds are pretty good they're going to be able to achieve that. They they are smarter than they've ever been. But equally, they're dealing with a circumstance that they haven't seen basically in their in their economic lifetimes. Then, if we go to the next slide, I think this is important too, because when we look at the media today, they're not they're not talking about all the good news that's occurring in the economy or any or you know the innovation that or any or you know the innovation that's occurring in the economy and so forth. We hear recession, recession, recession. There's not a day that goes by where we're not talking about, whatever you know the the oncoming recession it's actually virtually guaranteed to happen if you if you listen to the media and the question we're asking is are recessions over over the long term permanently damaging to a well constructed balanced portfolio and you can see here which supports the premise that if you stay invested you know globally the markets always return to their all time highs or or, sorry always return to where they were from an all time high standpoint and reach even higher highs down the road. This supports that, where basically, if you look at recessionary times, whether it be November 1973 to February 1975, uh, one that I remember, July 1990 to February 1991, and so forth, the average rate of return on the S&P 500 was minus 1%. Now there's some variability in that number, some years were different than others, but that was the, the, the average rate of return during the recession. And even the worst of it, for instance, uh, if we look at uh, December 2007 to May 2009, which was the Great Recession, the S&P 500 really finished that year down to 16%. Obviously, the, the trough was much lower than that, but it, it recovered over time. The message here, though, is if you, if you look 12 months after a recession and then even like three years after recession, the average rate of return is about 18% per year. On the S&P 500, and that then that number holds globally as well, whether it be the s and TSX, you know the, the European markets, et cetera. So the message that basically that 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 tells us is, if you're invested in a high quality, balanced, long term manner, and you're not taking any, uh, let's say, associated unreasonable risks with your money, over time you will weather the recession storm, and things will. Normalize and your portfolio will reflect that accordingly. So I'll pause there and thanks. Uh, thanks, Sean. Back to
2: thanks, Sean. So and- just a reminder, we've got the question and answer open. If you want to put in a question, feel free. Um, but we we do have some that were sent in ahead of time, and and I know we touched on a few, but it, it might be worth kind of reiterating some of these. Um, one of the uh, questions I really liked was what will a recession in Canada look like compared to a recession in the U.S.? And it's an interesting question. And, and you know, when you look at the numbers going back to that basket of goods is comparing the two baskets, because, again, they're not measured exactly the same. and There's a few differences, of course, and but Canada tends to follow in step with the U.S. What happens there tends to happen here. Um, But if you look at the one category that stood out, again, was around shelter. Our housing prices in Canada have risen at a much faster rate, um, and it is a a larger component of our our baskets. that is an area that, that stood out as well as a, yeah, thanks, Joel. So you can, again, that's the second category there. Uh, we're approaching that 30% number of the basket. So getting interest rates on, you know, increasing it, you are starting to see sales have dropped in Canada to, uh, you know, around, you know, where they were a decade ago. So you have seen sales drop. Now it's waiting for, you know, Prices to, to slow down and, and everybody to take a little bit of a breath um, so that it's not rising at that same rate uh, going forward. So that's one of the difference I think a recession in Canada would look like. Now it's not a 2008 scenario. Um, we've heard some questions about that because that was all based around housing. In Canada, only I think the number I was listening to our economist yesterday he was talking about 35% of Canadians have mortgages. So it's 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 actually a lower number than I initially thought. A lot of people aren't carrying mortgages, and the ones that do on the variable, because that's the one that you're going to see the prices change a lot. 60 per, 67% of the variable mortgages are actually fixed, um, fixed payments. So they're not going to feel the impact uh, quite as much. So, they should be able to absorb uh, uh, through this this difficult period as well. One of the other questions, uh, Sean, is how do stocks react to rising interest rates during an interest, uh, inflationary period and during a recession? You touched on that during one of the slides there.
1: Yeah, so so that's a, and that's a good question as well. And in the short run, what happens is, you know, if you look at higher interest rates, what that does is it makes a future dollar you're going to earn worth less today than what it would have, would have been in a lower interest rate environment. So, for for instance, if inflation is only eroding your purchasing power two percent a year, a dollar that Microsoft is going to earn ten years from now is going to be worth a certain amount in present value terms, versus if inflation's running at eight percent. Well, that dollar that Microsoft earns 10 years down the road is going to be valued in a very different way. It's going to be less. And that is reflected in the short run in share prices. And that's what we saw in the first half of this year was a backing and filling of share values for these type of companies, whether it be Walmart, uh, the Canadian banks, Alphabet, Amazon, and so forth. And that backing and filling was a little bit painful. I mean, we all endured it. It was not fun. But that was all done in a lot of cases in in the absence of earnings to support the share prices of those companies. And what happened was, particularly in April when earnings came out, the backing and filling took full precedence in terms of trying to reflect proper valuation in the face of rising interest rates versus what companies are actually doing in the moment in dealing with rising interest rates that has largely we think transpired it's it's largely over we think and that was reflected in the latest earnings where companies were doing very very well managing in this environment and you've seen a corresponding readjustment of share prices as a result of this and i think now basically what what we're seeing as well is companies are managing inflation first off they're dealing with it through various uh, things like, for instance, companies have strong pricing power, have passed on price increases through to their end customer and so on and so forth. The other thing too, though, is we are seeing inflation roll over. Still high, but it's rolling over. The rate of acceleration is is declining. And that's important because again, when, when the central banks raise interest rates, there is a time lag between them raising interest rates and its impact on the economy and on the inflation data. It's typically eight eight to 12 weeks. So you're gonna see central banks really watch the numbers and, and look for a rolling over or slowing of inflation. And if that occurs, the rate of increases going forward in terms of like the timing and the number of them, that could actually change dramatically. It could decelerate, and that would actually be very good for companies as well
2: and Sean we were talking about this earlier too this doesn't mean that you're going to see prices drop right so they're they're measuring the rate of change from the previous year so it's a percentage change and i think sometimes that we don't think that through it doesn't mean that all of a sudden you know your basket of goods today is going to be significantly less it just means the rate of change in terms of the growth rate isn't going to be what what we're seeing now right it can't keep going at this crazy high rate and that's why interest rates are trying to slow that that rate of change down
1: and that's the tightrope act that the bank of canada and the fed like central banks around the world are walking which is you need to dampen uh, tamp inflation down particularly the wage price spiral you don't want that to happen but equally you don't want to create a deflationary environment that is nearly as destructive or or actually you can argue it's more destructive than an inflationary environment because what happens then is the the consumer which, you know, if you look at U.S. GDP, the consumer is the largest driver of GDP growth. The consumer says, well, why would I buy something today when it's going to be cheaper tomorrow? And you do not want that resident in an economy. You need, you need inflation of, of some kind, some degree, to keep basically purchasing going. Mm-hmm.
2: Another question that came in here is, if we go into a recession, what companies do well during that period?
1: Well, I think, Amy, it goes down to basically you want to own companies that produce goods and services that people need and use every day that they can't do without. Yeah. So, you know, if we go into a, a recession, um, and we're not predicting a severe recession, and, I, and I, we can get into that in a moment if you want, but if you do go into a recession, you don't want to own discretionary-type investments, that, like, for instance, luxury handbags or, or things that people use, but they could cut back on in, in, in a tight circumstance. So, you know, Canadian banks – are, are, are probably a good investment in a, a recessionary environment. Uh, utilities and pipelines are probably very good investments uh, in, in a recessionary environment. And, and actually high quality technology companies, because you know regardless of whether we're in a, a recession or not, we're still gonna need to boot up our computers, we're still gonna need to use the internet, and we're still gonna probably use uh, the, the functionality of the, of the internet in terms of doing our day-to-day activities.
2: Exactly. We will also send out, um, so we'll send out the link uh, to the Bank of Canada, a uh, little video that we couldn't get uh, working today. I'll send that out, um, but we'll also include a link. Um, our chief economist just did an update recently, Stéphane Marion, uh, talking about some of the other issues, you know, positive shoots, I would say, that he's seeing around inflation, particularly where we had supply chain and issues, and then you had a lot of companies where they had too much of supply. Those numbers are all starting to starting to normalize again, which, again, is quite positive on the inflationary front um, and is what uh, central banks are, are looking to see. So, again, some good news. The numbers are starting to trend down. We're still a far way off yet uh, to get back to that, that 2% target, but moving in the right direction, which is good.
1: And, and keep in mind, when, when when we're talking about the classic definition of a recession, which economists, economists would call two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth, Yeah. You got to remember the number that they're taking that from, which was like economic growth somewhere in the neighborhood of six to seven percent in Canada, a number like that in the United States. So the, the the negative growth is coming off very, very elevated GDP growth numbers over the prior quarters. Right. In other, in other words, I, this is a natural ebb and flow of the economy.
2: Stefan Marion mentions that in in his clip as well, um, that That's one way to measure uh, for inflation, or sorry, for a recession. But the other thing that we're not seeing is uh, employment. Right? It's at an all-time high, um, and so that doesn't jive with a recession as well. So. Um, there's different ways to measure things and look at things, uh, but again, uh, the, nice to see that the trend is starting to to tick down on the inflation side. Um, for those of you who haven't seen our emails, we've been sending out. Uh, we are on social media a lot more active these days, sharing more content uh, there as well. Um, and we have a podcast that we launched uh, not too long ago, so you can check it out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Uh, the video clips are up on YouTube. Um, we encourage you to listen in. Uh, we have started a new series around talking to children and children at all various stages and uh, different tips and tricks and ideas and, and things that we see from our chair um, and and things that have worked uh, in having that discussion around money. Um, so stay tuned to the latest episodes as we, we start to publish those as well. So thank you for all the questions and for your time today and we look forward to the next one.